You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare Church, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Today on our Norwalk campus, Pastor Ken Santos continues our Transformed series with a message on vocational health. Today we are talking about vocational health. Say vocational health, not vacational health, uh, although some of us might need that too, right? Uh, That's another sermon for another time, taking vacations, taking a break, learning how to rest, learning how to Sabbath. But um, today we'll talk about how the Lord wants to transform our work life. The term vocation means, it just means your job. It means your career. That's the common meaning that it has today. So we have vocational schools that help people to prepare for a career in fields like technology, auto repair, or nursing. Some of you have gone to these schools. Uh, But in the past, the term vocation has a theological background. It's connected to biblical teachings about your work, about your faith, about your family, society, and the Christian life. So the word vocation comes from the Latin word for calling. Say calling. And Scripture talks so much about what we've been called to. We've been called to faith. We've been called to, uh, to God, to, to, to live a life in God in a particular way. But then in the medieval times, the church kind of took this word vocation, and, 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 and they just focused it as having to do with church work. So in some way, that mentality um, still exists today. If you have a calling, uh, then that means you're called to do work for the Lord. And so back then, if someone had a calling in their life, their vocation meant they would be a priest or a monk or a nun. And all the other occupations in life, if you were a farmer, if you were a maid, if you were a carpenter or a soldier, those occupations were acknowledged as worldly. So back then, if you had a vocation, if you had a calling, that means you're working for the church. You're working for the Lord. And nowadays, we just say, okay, if you have a calling, then you're working for the Lord. If you have a vocation, that's just a job. That's a career. Um, and they're kind of, you know, separated. But I want to bring that, these two ideas of vocation and calling, I want to bring it back together, okay? I want us to see... Um, how vocation for the Christian, for you and for me, it's a work that we are called to do for the glory of God. And so we just sang the song, Jesus at the center of my life. Jesus at the center of my work life as well. Um, so for you and for me, uh, we need to assess our vocational health. And I want us to assess it in these terms. That's the guys. Will I allow God to transform the way I think about the way I work? Does my work, does my vocation, does my calling, no matter what it is you do, does it bring honor to the Lord? So our theme verse for this whole series was Romans 12:2 Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so ask yourself, how will God transform the way that I work? I want to ask you, who here is working at their dream job? 
Don't have to answer that. Don't have to raise your hands. Um, but turn to your neighbor and ask them, do you love your job? You can answer your neighbor. Uh, if you answered no, um, we can pray for you later on. Uh, we will. Uh, but, but I want you to ask, do you love your job? But also, does my work, does your work really matter? Some of you might say, no, doesn't matter. I'm just trying to make ends meet. I'm just trying to pay my bills. The job that I have right now, I don't want this job for the rest of my life. There's something better out there for me. And so we kind of have this mentality that's found in Ecclesiastes 2, 17. Boom, there it is. The author of Ecclesiastes said, I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. Does anyone feel that way about their job right now? Don't quote these verses on your way to the office tomorrow, okay? But what the author of Ecclesiastes is saying is that the kind of work that is done in the physical world under the sun, uh, it's meaningless until God transforms our work, until it becomes more than something we just do here in the physical. It becomes something that we do for the Lord. And in our work, we find meaning. In our work, we find blessing. In our work, we'll find fulfillment. And so I don't want to preach on this verse. I want to preach on verses that, that communicate that your work indeed does matter. Would you tell that to someone next to you? Your work matters. Really? Really? I just work a minimum wage job? Stocking shelves at the grocery store? That's meaningless, right? No, not for the mom who was trying to buy groceries for her family and they needed to go to that aisle in the grocery store, find the ingredients they were looking for so she could bring it home and prepare the meal. If all the workers at the store were lazy, we'd all... We, we wouldn't be blessed. We'd all be wondering, what's going on here at the store? My family, uh, we all de we decided to go on a hike to Potato Chip Rock. Has anyone ever been to Potato Chip Rock? It's literally a rock that looks like a Pringles potato chip hanging over um, a drop. Yeah. And uh, people stand on this rock. They jump on this rock. It looks like that rock's about to crack. Uh, so we hiked up there, and it was a two-and-a-half-mile hike uphill, and we didn't realize how out of shape we were until a quarter way through the hike, but we made it there. But what, one thing I... Uh, it, this is a place near San Diego, but one thing I do appreciate about this hiking trail is how clean it was, how there was no graffiti on the rocks. Now, if you go hiking here in the L.A. area, you know that... In these hikes, there's trash, litter everywhere. There's graffiti on the rocks. Um, but I really appreciated the work that had gone into making sure that this trail was kept clean. And so it was a blessing for us to enjoy nature and not be distracted by garbage and by graffiti and by vandalism. And so we're blessed when we do things and we see things and we don't even notice them. But we're blessed because of 
the donuts that, that, that came this morning. Did anyone have a donut? I did. Some of you did. Come on. They're gone all the time. Oh, the youth weren't here, so there's still there are a few left. But, but sometimes, uh, you know, you take for granted what went into the fact that we have donuts here on Sunday morning. Uh, God blessed me with the donut because of the truck driver who delivered the flour, the ingredients to the store, and the baker who baked these donuts, and the deacon who picked up the donuts and brought them here to church. Amen? Because here at the church, we not only want you to be fed phys- spiritually, we want, we want you to be fed physically too, right? Um, but it's a blessing for when people uh, come to this church and serve as, at this church. It's a blessing to hear the worship team uh, and all the work that goes into practicing and, re- and preparing for a service like this. But we're also blessed by all the other things, all the other jobs that people do around us that aren't necessarily church-related. The garbage man who picks up the garbage every week. The road crews that ensure our roads are safe. The electricians, the entrepreneurs, the local businesses, insurance agents, police officers, public officials, nurses, doctors, teachers. All of these folks bless us in some way or another when they do good work. And so you, as a worker, have a calling. And you can be used by God to bless and serve people, God's people, God's creation, through good work. Some of us are struggling right now in terms of jo- our job. We're kind of stuck with it. We're hoping for this big break. But God wants us to know that if you're diligent, if you strive, if you do what you're called to do right now, it's preparing you for something. He's preparing you for something better later on. And so I I need you to consider today today that maybe where you are right now is the place where God is preparing you for something greater later on. Maybe where you are right now, you might be in school still and sitting in a Shakespeare class or something, and you're like, I'm never going to use this. The work that you put in in your studies, the trust in God that you develop during your time as a student Those are things that are building your character, building your your faith in the Lord and preparing you for what God has in store for you ahead. So Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has a plan for you, yes? He really does. That's what this verse is talking about. We've been created for a purpose. We've been created for a calling to do good works. It's not just a calling to be saved. It's a calling to live out our salvation by blessing the world. Your work, my work, is beneficial. It's meant to advance God's kingdom because he has saved us by his grace. He has created us for his glory, and our work matters to him. Paul says, again, in Colossians 3, 17, Whatever you do, say whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Your work is worship. Whatever you do, whatever effort God, you, you put forth, do it for the Lord as an act of worship, giving thanks to God 
through your work. So if our work can be done as an act of worship, think about all the worship that you do during the week that could be used as an offering to the Lord whenever you're at work. How much time do we spend working? If you calculate it, the average American uh, works from age 25 to 65 roughly. Some of you worked way before that and way after that. Uh, But let's say 40 years of work from... 8 to 5, maybe, um, 3 weeks off for vacation, maybe, that means you spend 78,400 hours of, at work. Nine years of your life is spent at work. That's nine years of your life that you're not with your family, nine years of your life when you're apart from your church, unless you work for the church, um, nine years of your life that you're not, you're, you could be doing more important things that you're supposed to be doing with your life. Some people have said, if money weren't an issue, I'd, I'd, if I didn't have to work so much, I'd have more time to do what God wants me to do. But why is it that we think God only blesses work that is done for the Lord through the church? No. God wants, God's put us in this system Uh, where we're at work 40 hours a week, don't you think he could use your work 40 hours a week to bless other people? Don't you think that kind of work matters to God too? And so we have to kind of get out of this mentality that, hey, you're that person there, they're, they're called to do God's work because they're in ministry. Pastor Ken, Pastor Ron, they're called to do God's work. No, you and you and you, all of you are called to do God's work wherever he has placed you, whatever job, career, opportunity that you're in. So what effort are you giving in your job? Is it a half-hearted effort? Do you wake up every Monday thinking, oh, it's Monday again? Or Or do you want God to transform the way you work so that It's not just done in the physical. It's not just done under the sun, but it's done in his presence and it's done for his glory. Now, I know some of you are still looking for work. God is preparing you even in the waiting period for the good work that's ahead. You might not know what the future holds, but you need to be aware of opportunities that God brings to you. You see, God has given many of us a dream. Maybe it's a dream to own your own business one day or to run for public office or to develop a cure for something. Maybe God's given you a goal just to to share the gospel more often at your work. Or maybe if you're a business owner, God's given you a goal to provide more benefits for your employees. Maybe you have a dream to create jobs or just to get out of debt or to retire so that you can give forward towards the future for for other people, for, for other, you know, you could give scholarships, you could do things for others. All of these dreams that God has placed in your heart are attainable, but along the way you're gonna you're gonna run into obstacles. We're gonna run into problems that we can label as dream busters, giants, metaphorical giants who are standing in the way between you and your goals, between the good work that God has prepared in advance. For you to do. And so today, for the rest of this time, I want to glean some practical insights from scriptures uh, 
on how to face giants, obstacles in our life, in our work, in our vocation, in the calling that God has placed in our hearts. And we're going to go to the story of David and Goliath. How many of you know that story? How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Did anyone go to Sunday school here? Okay. David and Goliath, everyone knows this story. Uh, even like non-church people know somewhat of the story of David and Goliath. So it's found in 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 17. So if you can go there in your Bible, just stick your finger in that, in that um, page, and we'll stay in this passage for the rest of this time. I want to describe to you uh, this real-life giant named Goliath that David had to face. 1 Samuel 17. Verse 1, it says, The Philistines gathered their forces for war. Jump to verse 3. The Philistines occupied one hill, the Israelites another, with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 125 pounds. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back and his spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him and Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the army of Israel. Give me a man, let us fight each other. And on hearing this, on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Most of you know the end of the story. David comes on the scene. He faces Goliath. He uses a sling to hurl a stone, hits Goliath right between the eyes, knocks him out, takes Goliath's sword, and chops off his head. It's a classic tale of an underdog who is overmatched in every way, and yet he conquers his formidable foe. But you see, when David faces this big, scary giant, God was preparing him to become king of Israel. And so in this process of preparing, David learns to face other kinds of giants. You and I, we're never going to face this physical giant unless you are a professional wrestler in the WWE. Anyone here doing? No, okay. So no one's going to face a physical giant like David did, but our giants, our obstacles... They take different forms. And when it comes to your job, your vocation, your calling, these giants keep us in mediocrity. They keep us uh, complacent. They cause us to lose heart. They cause us to go through the motions each and every week just to do our jobs, collect our paychecks, and count the days till our next vacation. They're intimidating giants. They, are, they, they, they prevent us from fulfilling the dream that God has placed in our heart. And so when David confronts Goliath, before he confronts Goliath, 
What was David before he was this soldier? He was a shepherd boy. And Scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 16 that God was ready to find a new king because King Saul had failed miserably. So a prophet named Samuel, he goes to Bethlehem. He goes to the household of Jesse, and he lines up the, seven, the, the sons of Jesse. And God tells him, one of these sons are, is going to be the next king of Israel. And so Samuel looks at this row of children, of boys, young men, and he, he, he examines them. He evaluates them. Is that the king? Is that the next king? Is he the next king? And then he asks Jesse, the father, Jesse, is this all you got? You got any more kids? And Jesse is like, oh, yeah. There's the other one. There's the youngest one. He's out there. He's just tending the sheep. No one pays attention to him. But they bring David into the house. And as soon as David comes in, the Lord tells Samuel, that's the one. He is the one. Anoint him. And so from a very early age, David gets this calling that he will one day be the future king of Israel. Does it happen right away? No. What happens after that? David goes back to being a shepherd. And then he takes this part-time internship at King Saul's palace or at his house, and he becomes King Saul's personal musician. King Saul would say, David, play this song for me. Anyone here have Alexa, Google Home? Yeah, I just tell Alexa, Alexa, play some worship music, and she starts. It's a device for all, yeah. And, and so David was Saul's personal David app, right? David, play this. And David would take his harp, play the harp. It would soothe King Saul. And as he's doing this job, David knows that one day he's going to be king. One day, he's going to be in charge. He's going to be the one giving orders. He's going to be the one being served. But for this moment, as he was playing as Saul's personal assistant, David had to work, and David had to wait. Is anyone here working and waiting? Is anyone here waiting for work? There's a delay between David's calling, his anointing to be king, and when he actually sees the fulfillment of that calling. And just like David, we experience this giant called delay. Say delay. We're waiting for that dream job. We're waiting for an opportunity to get promoted. And so one of the giants that we'll face along the way is called delay. God gives you the dream one day, but he doesn't fulfill it until later on. There's a waiting period. But God can use this waiting period to prepare you for other obstacles that you might face in the future. So as we look back at the passage of David and Goliath, we notice David wasn't supposed to be in the battlefield with the army of Israel. Instead, he was stuck at home, tending sheep for his dad, while his big brothers were out there fighting fighting were they really fighting no they were just paralyzed staring at the giant going we can't do anything about this guy and so jesse 
sends his son David out to the battlefield, to the camp. He tells him to bring a little care package to his older sons. David gets this job with Uber Eats. Uh, He delivers cheese sandwiches to his brothers. And when he drops off the food, David sees what's going on in the battlefield. He hears Goliath taunting the army of Israel, and he notices that nobody, not even Saul, the king, has the courage to face this giant. And so God had prepared David for such a time as this. Because, see, during the delay, what happens to David? He had entered into the service of the king. He had found favor with the king. And so when David starts making a fuss about why no one was doing anything about Goliath, the king noticed him. And David was given an audience with King Saul. King Saul knew who David was. He didn't just say, hey, who's that little runt that keeps complaining here? Send him back home. No, he said, hey, talk to me, David. What's going on? So David had an opportunity. There was a door that opened for him to convince the king to allow him to fight Goliath. There was a promotion waiting for David because David had faithfully served in his role as Saul's musician. And then later on, we know David becomes this well-respected general in Saul's army. There's so much time that passes. There's a long delay between his calling and between his kingship. And in the meantime, there's another giant that he has to face. First was delay. Second is discouragement. Say discouragement. As you navigate periods of transition in your life, when you're jumping from job to job, when you're interviewing for that next job or trying a new career path or, 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 or thinking about starting your own business, you're going to encounter discouragement. It shows up as the fear of failing. It shows up as you're, you're scared of the risk. There's uncertainty that lies ahead. And discouragement can creep in and you wonder, is this really where God wants me to be? How can... I make a difference here at my job when there's so many challenges to overcome? How can I do a good job here? Everyone else is doing like really a half-hearted effort. How can I make a difference in this business? How can it succeed when, when all the other competition around me is so cutthroat? How can I survive in a corporation that's, that's uh, discriminatory against gender, race? age. And so in David's case, Goliath had created this discouragement, this climate of fear in Israel. And everyone concluded that Goliath was unbeatable. And so, look, if, if, if the Israelites lose to the Philistines, David would be out of a, of, a, of a job. He wouldn't have a calling to be king anymore. Take a look at verse 25. The Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. And David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. Look at the payoff 
of great riches, the prize of marrying the princess, the promise of living with the the rest of your life tax-free. Those are great benefits, rewards for anyone who would kill Goliath. But the soldiers took one look at Goliath and they're like, nope, not worth it. No reward is worth taking that risk. How discouraging. But David takes one look at Goliath, and what does he see? He sees an uncircumcised Philistine. He sees an enemy of the living God. He sees an enemy that God promised that Israel would overcome. He saw someone who was standing in the way between him and God's calling on his life. Goliath, you're in the way of me becoming king. And so how does David overcome this discouragement? He recognizes who is on his side. He recognizes that he is in the army of the living God. Whose side are you on? Who is on your side? Is God on your side? He's on your side, whoever said yes. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to who says You can't do that. Who's putting down your dreams? Who's saying, you can never amount to anything? Listen to what the Lord is telling you. Find out what He is saying to you. Obey Him. Seek wise counsel. Talk to a pastor. Talk to one of us and say, hey, I think God's leading me in this direction. What do you think? Find encouragement from your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Take these uh, decisions to prayer. And recognize that God is greater than any giant in your way that you will ever face. Remember his promises. Can I get an amen from that? So delay. Say delay. Delay. Discouragement. Discouragement. Third obstacle is disapproval. Say disapproval. David had to face disapproval of people around him in order to pursue his calling. And you and I will too. Here's the problem. We don't want to go after our dream. We don't want to go after what God has in store for us because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of of, of disapproval. We want everyone to like us. We want everyone to approve of everything that we do. And we're afraid of the critics. There are people who are going to judge you. There are people who are going to say, Hey, I don't know. You can't do that. And that giant is called disapproval. And so David's own brother does this to him. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak David's brother treats him with disgust and disdain and he demeans him and he disregards him and he belittles him and 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 the sad truth is sometimes our own family members just don't want us to accomplish God's dream maybe it's envy maybe it's jealousy or maybe it is that it's that they know us a little bit too too well Maybe they think, man, really? You're called to do the work of the Lord? I remember what you used to, what you're, what you used to be like. 
They know your weaknesses, but they don't know God's strength. And so when God gives you a dream, and it's a dream that other people are afraid to attempt or afraid to accomplish or afraid to even step out and try, if you take that dream and go for it, you will meet, you'll be misjudged. You'll be misinterpreted. You'll be misunderstood. And that is the giant of disapproval. And I think some parents, I'm not going to, you know, some parents think, yeah, my kid should go to a good college and, and become a doctor or a nurse. And there's nothing wrong with becoming a doctor or a nurse. But some of us think you should be that because that's the, that makes better money than trying to be a musician or trying to be, you know, a teacher even. They want you to get the higher paying job. Parents, we're like that. Yes, we are. Just admit it. But is it the job is it the calling that God has placed in the life of our young adult child? Help them to discover that. See what they're passionate about. How has God wired them? Not everyone is wired to just become a nurse just because you are, or a doctor, or a pastor. But what has God called them to do? And help them to glorify God in that area of work. Amen? Amen? Don't discourage. Don't disapprove. Find out what God is up to. There's a fourth giant that David faces, and it's doubt. Say doubt. Am I capable of this? Can I really do this? Did God give me enough skills to do what he's called me to do? There's people around us who tell you, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not trained enough. In David's case, there was this battle-tested expert who doubted David's ability. You're just a musician. King Saul was the greatest warrior in all of Israel. King Saul had been in battle his entire life. And so when King Saul hears that this shepherd boy slash intern musician is willing to take on the giant who has paralyzed the nation, he invites David in for a little reality check. All right, David, look at, look at what he says. He's, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Sounds a little cocky, a little confident, overconfident there, but Saul replies, hmm, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. And so David the expert tells David, mm, you can't do that. It's ridiculous. David, this giant's been a warrior for a very long time. You're just a kid. And so some of us do the same thing. We doubt God's calling on our lives. What can you do? You're sh too shy. There's no way a shy person can be up here preaching the word of God. That was me, by the way. You didn't graduate from university. You didn't graduate. You, you, you're just an immigrant. You're too old. You're too young. You've had a difficult upbringing. There's no way that you can do what God has called you to do. No. People doubt you because they, they know of your past. They doubt that you're capable of fulfilling the dreams that God has called you to do. But if God is the one who calls you, if God has, a pla if God has placed a good work in your future and he's preparing you in advance, and all along, he's preparing you to accomplish that, then there's a confidence that you can have that God will bring you through. 
And so David leans on the Lord to overcome these giants of delay and discouragement, disapproval and doubt. And how do we defeat the giants that are keeping us from becoming the man and woman that God wants us to be? We do the very same things that David did. So here are a few things that he did. Number one, remember how God has helped you in the past. Remember. Recall the ways that God has brought you through. And it gives you confidence that he will do the same for you in the future. Remember the time when you thought you wouldn't make it, but you did. Remember the time you thought it was the end, but it wasn't. Remember the time you thought you were at the bottom. You'd never be able to climb out, but God helped you. Remember when you thought you were all alone, but you weren't. God has been there all along to help you, to deliver you, to save you, to strengthen you, to promote you. And that's what David did. He remembered God's faithfulness, God's strength, God's help. Look at verse 34. David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Remember how God has helped you in the past. All along, he's preparing you for the future. Another response, another way we can fight our giants is use the tools that God has given you now. Use the tools that God has given you now. Some people are just waiting for something to happen before they do anything. They're sitting on the couch at their parents' house playing video games all day, waiting for the perfect job opportunity to show up in their email. They're making excuses because they aren't ready to pursue God's calling. But don't wait for something you don't have. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough education. I don't have enough connections. I don't have enough opportunities. I don't have this, I don't have that. No, use the tools that God has given you right now. What has he given you? What gifts and talents has he given you to be used for his glory? It's not someone else's tools that you're going to use. Look at verse 38. Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off and he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistines. David said, this sling is what I'm used to. I don't need your armor, king. I'm going to use this. And God didn't make us to be someone else. God didn't make me to be Pastor Thel. I'm never going to be like Pastor Thel. He made me to be me. He made you not to be exactly like your boss, your sister, your brother, your parent. He made you to be you. So wear your own armor. Don't wear someone else's. 
Use your own tools that God has given you, your own talents, your own gifts. Use what you've got. Because if you try to do it someone else's way, you're bound to fail. But if God has called you, if God has said, this is, this is what I'm calling you to do, and he's going to equip you and he's going to give you the right tools, use those tools to accomplish that calling. Finally, trust in God to help you succeed for his glory. Trust God. That's what David did. It's faith. It's the faith factor. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Are you trusting in your own skills, in your own might to win the battle? Or are we trusting in the Lord to fight our battle? Are you trusting him to prepare you for greater responsibilities, greater opportunities, greater works? Or are you trying to get all the glory by doing things your way, by trying to measure success using your standards, using the world's standards? You don't have to be the smartest person. You don't have to be the best looking. You don't have to be the wealthiest person in order to become successful. But we do have to choose between God, trusting in him, or trusting in ourselves. And so when God calls us towards his work, the good work he has prepared in advance for us to do, when we put our faith and trust in him, he'll help us overcome any obstacle, any delay, any discouragement, any disapproval, any doubt that may stand in our way. Would you stand with me? I invite the worship team back up. I want to just encourage you that God wants to use you. He wants to use you and me, not because of who we are, but because, not because of the skills that we've learned, the education that we have. He wants to use us because he wants our work to be a living testimony of him. You see, our work can be worship, as we talked about earlier. Our work can also be a witness, a witness to the fact that there is a God and that he loves us and that he has blessed us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And he has put us right here, right now, wherever you're at, to bless others with your work and do it as an act of worship and an act of witness. And so if God is calling you today, I believe he is, I believe some of you, um, he's establishing a purpose, a dream, a calling in your life. Maybe some of you, he's reminding you of that one day that he told you, hey, this is the calling I have for your life. Whatever that calling is, 
God wants you to succeed for his glory. Your work matters to him. And he wants us to use the rest of our lives, no matter how many more years we've got, even in our retirement years, he wants to use this time, the work we do, to be full of meaning and fruitful work. And so I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for helping me many times in the past. You've helped me through things I thought I'd never get out of, but you did help me. And if you've helped me in the past, I know you're going to help me in the future. So Lord, give me confidence in knowing that you have and always will be faithful to me. Even when I'm discouraged, when people disapprove, when people misunderstand me, when there's so much time that I'm waiting, help me to realize that you're there, that you're always with me, that you have a plan for me. Help me to use the tools that you've given me now, not to wait for a perfect time or a perfect place, but to use the sling and the stones that I have right now. Help me not to wear someone else's armor, but go in your strength, in your power. Help me to trust in you at all times, not for my glory, but for your glory, that the whole world will know that there is a God, that everyone around me at my work will know that the, that the Lord is, is using me for his glory. Lord, I've been tired because I've been trying to fight battles as if they're mine. No, it's your battle, and I want to trust you for the victory. So Jesus, I entrust my work, I entrust my, my life, my future. It's in your hands. Be the center of my work, be the center of my life, be the center of the future that you hold. Thank you that giants are falling and dreams will come true. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, 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 I Thanks for listening. For more information about our church, please visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. And feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission.